gentlemen. Brother Mike and Debbie are still in Tennessee visiting, or at least maybe on their way back or something like that. So uh, keep them in prayer. Um, I also want to keep um, Esther in prayer. Tim and Esther are down in South Carolina. They're visiting with his grandma down there and uh, celebrating Thanksgiving with them. And Esther has a uh, about <laughs> um, with her kidneys right now. She's in severe pain. She's in the hospital right now. Um, she's passing a lot of blood, a lot of blood, and uh, it's a, just severe pain. So um, we need to really be praying for her in that situation. And uh, she's all the way down there, and just be ready to do whatever we can do. Uh, of course, we'll be, we're plans right now are to travel down south um, and spend some time together down there, um, celebrating our anniversary. Um, but those things may, may need to change or whatever, so we'll just see how things go there. So just be really praying for that you get some relief and then that they find out what it is and that they can take care of things. and. Uh, like I said, she's probably going to need some some help with those three rascally boys. <laughs> so let's uh, uh, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for that. We know you that Tim and Esther know you that the grandma down there knows you that we know you that you could do all things. You want us to pray and to ask for things, and you want us to love and care for one another. And there becomes defining moments in our life of difficulty and uh, uncertainty. And Lord, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. And so we just pray, Lord God, that, uh, that uh, this, at this time that we would see this as a time of Your working in, in our lives, all of our lives around this situation. And uh, just pray that you do a mighty work, that we would glorify you and all that's said and done in it and through it. And just pray for Tim and the boys um, as they uh, have to manage through some of these things um, and uh, drive home. And however that's all going to work out, um, just uh, pray your, your hand, your mighty hand upon them and comfort. And Lord, may we just... Uh, May it just draw us all closer to you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now I, I was really searching, kind of trying to figure out what I should uh, teach on this morning. And what I came up with um, was the thought of staying in the mode of the book of Revelation, uh, in one sense. Um, some of the things that Mike has already talked about, reviewing some of those things, but uh, but really talking about it not in in great detail, but but more in general about the term that's been given to the study of the end times. Does anybody know what that term is? Eschatology. Eschatology. Okay, so that's a big word. There's a lot of big words, but 
Uh, words are made up through the ages to figure out uh, uh, what to call that, you know, what, what do you call that study? So they make up this, this big old long word. Um, kind of like uh, doctors do <laughs> in medicines and everything else, all these crazy names. It's kind of interesting how those come about. So eschatology, the study of the end times. Now, I found a, a pretty good brief uh, description of this because I was looking up at what I, I was trying to find out. There's, there's basically three different thoughts of the end times um, and how that's viewed. And so I was looking for what churches kind of adhere to what view there is, okay? So this is more of, so hopefully you understand a little, little more generally about this term eschatology and the end times. And then we're going to get particularly into uh, what we believe the Word of God is saying about the end times and what Mike is teaching about, um, but we're going to kind of get there a little bit slow. We're going to have your Bibles ready because we're going to look up a lot of verses. It says here, um, and, and this, was, this was from a view of the Church of Christ, but they lined it out pretty good, the different, different views. Uh, it says, eschatology is the study of end times, particularly the second coming of Jesus, the day of judgment, the destruction of the earth, and the afterlife. Christianity, in its broadest sense, is divided in regards to eschatological beliefs. And this division is largely dependent on how one interprets the reference to the 1,000 years, the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, this is a, where, uh, during when Satan is bound in Revelation 20, verses 2 and 3, and Christ reigns in Revelation 20, 4 through 6. Some believe that the millennium is a reference to an earthly kingdom in which Jesus will physically reign for a literal 1,000 years prior to the day of judgment. This eschatological stance is called premillennialism. And by the way, that's what we believe. Because it teaches that Jesus will return before the millennial age. Others believe that this 1,000 years <clears throat> is a reference <clears throat> excuse me, to the gradual Christianized progress of the world, <laughs> this one's hard to understand, that will result in the salvation of most of mankind as well as the predominance of Christian ethics and thereby usher in the reign of Christ. In other words, it's going to get better and better till Christ sits on the throne. This eschatological stance is called post-millennialism because it teaches that Jesus will return after the millennium. Which means Christians, the church, will go through the tribulation period. Still others believe that the millennial reign <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> is symbolic of Christ reigning through his church. And therefore, it is a reference to the church age, okay, which comprises the time between Jesus' ascension and second coming. This doctrinal stance is typically called 
amillennialism. For it might be called nonce millennialism, which means the millennium is now. There's people who believe we're in the millennium. Historically, the churches of Christ have possessed members in congregation that ascribe to all of these eschatological doctrines. But since the early 20th century, the generally accepted eschatological teaching of the churches of Christ has been that of all millennialism or nunce millennialism. The reason that the churches have adopted this theology regarding the end time is multifaceted. And it goes into an explanation of why they do that, and it's quite interesting. And just let me tell you this. Anytime you have a certain belief, whether you believe, um, another one is, uh, is, can you lose your salvation? You're going to find... scriptures in themselves that are difficult in themselves in the way they're said to support one belief or the other. So you really, you have to take the whole thing into consideration, but you will find that there are quite different opposing beliefs in a lot of areas. And every one of them will have their Ways of explaining it out, including us. Okay? But what we need to do is we need to look at the whole of the Bible. You have to almost take a belief. It's kind of like science. You come up with a theory. This is what you believe it's saying. And then you go and you test it all throughout. And you can take each one of those and test it and see which one really supports the test. But I'll just tell you, you're going to find some people, this is what I've been taught. And this is how it is. And you'll find people who can argue you. Uh, I've met with a Church of Christ guy who is in, 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 in deep with it and in, in deep with uh, baptism and salvation. And he was older and he was studied. He had it all down. Every kind of answer he had. But he was taught, that's what he believes, he's not getting off of it, he's not changing, doesn't matter what the Word of God says. You know, I hope that we are at the point where we look at the entire Word of God and come to conclusions based on the entire Scriptures rather than just on what somebody tells you what you ought to believe. Um, Hopefully we don't have a religious... uh, belief but a doctrinal belief in the word of God and basis on that so I want to go through and discuss with you this is a really good book I thought about all you men uh, having this this book here Um, it's called major bible themes Um, it's by Lewis Sperry Schaefer and uh, it's revised by John Walfrood is his name and um it just gives a really good, I mean, there's many books and, and topics that these men have written that are very detailed, but this is just, it's simplified and explained. And so we're going to go through this doctrine of eschatology, 
through the book, and we'll go through it. We'll look up some scriptures, and you can see why we would believe be premillennialist. Okay, it says the doctrine chosen for this chapter is one of the most important themes of unfilled prophecy. The student should be reminded that prophecy is God's pre-written, pre-written history and is therefore as credible as other parts of Scripture. Almost one-fourth of the Bible was in the form of prediction when it was written. Much has been fulfilled. And in every case, fulfillment has been the most literal realization of all that was prophesied. I want to repeat that. In every case, its fulfillment has been the most literal realization of all that was prophesied. So what would be the opposite of literal? Figurative. Any other words? Allegorical. In other words, it's... And and if you think about it, that's probably what the Jews had to do with Christ and the scriptures. It was very literal, the prophecy of Christ and what he would go through and what he would do. But if you can, you have to explain it away somewhat so you reach into allegories, or for the most part, you stay away from those parts of the scripture because they just are convicting and convincing. And so we need to be careful that the, what we see in the, in the past, that the prophecies were very literal, how God gave those. As he came, he was of the tribe of Judah, a son of Abraham, a son of David, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. All those things, specific, literal. In like manner, the explicit details of his death foretold in Psalm 22, a thousand years before, were precisely fulfilled. Okay? So we look at the stances, we look at the Bible, we look at prophecy in general, and we say, it was, it was literal. God didn't like make up these crazy imaginative things, okay? The word of God also presents much prophecy, which at the present time is unfulfilled. And it is reasonable well as honoring God to believe that it will be fulfilled in the same faithfulness which was characterized all his work to the present hour. And the reason I'm going over some of these things is Mike has touched on this, but it might have went, you know, and it, and it might hit a little deeper today, but it, you might lose it, you know, but time after time things will begin uh, to sink in because everything, <clears throat> how you view this has, is dependent on do you view what God's saying as literal to, literal. Uh, literal or figurative. Now the fact that Christ is to return to this earth as he went, this same Jesus, in his resurrection body on the clouds of heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Somebody want to look that up? Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Go ahead. Joshua said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." 
Okay, it says it's so clearly and extensively taught in the prophetic scripture that this truth has been included in all the great creeds of Christendom. However, the doctrine of the return of Christ demands most careful and discriminating consideration. <clears throat> as considering prophecy as it relates to the future coming of Jesus Christ, many Bible students distinguish Christ's coming for his church, referring to the rapture, okay? The catching up of the saints to heaven. From his coming, distinguishing that from his coming with his saints to set up his kingdom, his formal second coming to the earth to reign for a thousand years. Between these two events, many important events are predicted, such as the emergence of a world church, <clears throat> the formation of a world government with a world dictator, and a gigantic world war, which will be underway at the time of Christ comes to set up his kingdom. Christ coming for his church is the first event in this series, if the prophecies are interpreted literally. Okay? So you have the rapture, then you're going to have seven years of tribulation, you're going to have the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand literal years, and then you're going to have um, eternity that starts, all the judgments and eternity starting, okay? Now, remember that some believe there's, there's not that rapture that's being talked about, they mix it in with the second coming, and all is going to be done there, which means the church would go through the tribulation. All millennium saying, you know, that's all just figurative stuff. You know, we're in the millennium now. And Christ through, it's, it's the church age. And it's, it's getting better. And it's going to, Christ is going to come. And it's going to culminate into Christ uh, coming again. So, and there's reasons for that. Now, Although the end time events which occur after the rapture of the church are given in many prophecies in the Old and New Testaments, okay, the truth that Christ would come for his church first was not revealed in the Old Testament and is distinctly a New Testament revelation. Okay? And we're going to see some of the, the scriptures concerning this. By the way, there, there, that wasn't the only mystery that was revealed in the word of God. And a mystery is something, it's not mysterious like we think about it. What it is, is something that wasn't told before, but now is told that you're getting that understanding. Marriage is one of those. Talks about marriage being a mystery. Marriage is really the picture of Christ in the church. And it talks about that expressly. There are several things that were mystery and the rapture of Christ coming to get his people was something new revealed in the Old Testament they had no idea about that and we'll even see where the disciples that kind of hit them probably like a ton of bricks says so the first revelation that Christ would come for his saints before the end time somebody look up John 14 verses 2 and 3 the first revelation that Christ would come for his saints before end time events were fulfilled was given to the disciples in the upper room the night before Christ's crucifixion. According to John 14, 
2 through 3, if you go ahead and read that. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So the disciples were probably totally unprepared for this first part. This is the first mention of Jesus leaving, preparing a place, and coming to get them and bring them back to where he is. They had been instructed in Matthew, if somebody look up Matthew 24, 26 through 31, handy. This is concerning the glorious return of Christ to set up his kingdom. And Jesus had talked about this. Matthew chapter 24, verses 26 through 31. <clears throat> Wherefore, if they, uh, they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as a lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For whosoever the, the car, carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered, uh, gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sun, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. All right, so they had had this prophecy, knew about his second coming, and in the Old Testament prophesies of the second coming, which is Christ coming to rule and reign on this earth. But when they got to the end where Jesus and John, there's some really interesting, we've been looking at it at close to home when, when Andy hasn't been there, we've just been going through the book of John. But there's some things in the book of John that are very tender, uh, amazing things said that you don't see in the other gospels before Christ goes to the cross. And he talks, you know, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So he's telling him in his last days, I'm coming back to get you, and I'm bringing you with me. It says, up to the time they had no idea that Christ would come first to take them from the earth to heaven, and by this means remove them from the earth during the time of trouble, which characterizes the end of the age. In John 14, it is clear that the Father's house refers to heaven, that Christ was leaving them to prepare a place for his disciples there. He promises that having prepared a place, he would come again to receive them. The implication is that his purpose is to take them from the earth to the Father's house in heaven. This preliminary announcement is given further detailed by the Apostle Paul. In writing to the Thessalonians concerning their questions of the relationship of the resurrection of the saints and Christ's coming for saints living on the earth, Paul gives details of this important event. If somebody would look up 1 Thessalonians 4, 
13 through 18. We'll just go around the room in scriptures there. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them would also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So he declares in verses 16 and 17 what he just wrote, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The order of events for Christ's coming for his saints begins with the Lord leaving his throne in heaven and descending to the air above the earth. He will give a shout, literally a shout of command. This will be accompanied by the triumphant voice of the archangel Michael and the sounding of the trump of God in obedience to the command of Christ in John 5. 28 through 29, if you look that up, John, John 5, 28 through 29. John 5, 28 through 29. 28 through 29. 28 through 29. So, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they have done good. Shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Okay, Christ who have died will be raised from the dead, or Christians who have died will be raised from the dead. The souls of the dead have accompanied Christ from heaven, as indicated in 1 Thessalonians 4 14. So them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Okay. This is a very interesting scripture. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's just hard for us to understand, but it says to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So our bodies remain here, and he's bringing the bodies down for those who have died. And they'll be reunited with a new body. Um, I can't explain it. That's just what it's saying here. Um, Them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Those who sleep, those who are in the grave, God will bring with him from heaven. Interesting, huh? And will enter into the resurrected bodies a moment after the dead in Christ are raised. Living Christians shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In this manner, the entire 
church will be removed from the scene of earth and will fulfill the promise of John 14 of being with Christ in the Father's house in heaven. Further details, what you got to understand, you see the dealings with the church. There's dealings with the Jewish, the Jews, the nation of Israel. And God deals with them separately. So when you start to mix this up, all of a sudden there becomes combinations of things and of people and how you look at the Jews and so forth. Further details are given in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass. The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. All right. Here the truth of Christ's coming for his church is declared to be a mystery. It's a mystery uh, that that truth is not revealed in the Old Testament, but revealed only in the New Testament. Um, let's look at Romans 16, 25 through 26, and then Colossians 1, 26. So John, Romans 16, 25 and 26. And then Andy Utsi, Colossians 1, 26. Mm-hmm. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Colossians 1, 26. <clears throat> Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. Okay. So in contrast to the truth of Christ coming to the earth to set up his kingdom, okay, which is revealed in the Old Testament, the rapture is revealed only in the New Testament. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 indicates that this event will take place in a moment of time in the twinkling of an eye, that the resurrection bodies of the dead, which will be raised, will be incorruptible, that it will not grow old, and it will be immortal, not subject to death. What an amazing thing that is. Paul is talking about that. Remember, he's, uh, we were talking about, he said, you know, who, who shall save me from this body? I mean, this uh, Romans chapter 7. And, you know, all the things that he knows he should do, but he doesn't do in this fight of this flesh that's always, who's going to take me? It's like, who? Jesus will. He's coming again. He's going to make us immortal. 
our bodies are going to be a sinless body. It's clear from scriptures that the new bodies will also be sinless. Ephesians 5.27. Is that you, Andy? And then Philippians 3.20-21. Ephesians 5.27 That he might present it to himself before his church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Philippians 3.20 and 21 For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that is, uh, that it may be fashioned like unto its glorious body. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Okay, the bodies of those in the graves as well as those living on earth are not suited for heaven. If you think about it, it's a perfect place. <laughs> We're not going to dirty it up with sinful body. God doesn't allow a little bit of sin in. We wouldn't want that. Now, as human beings, we're foolish enough to think that and, and think that that's a good thing. It's a bad thing. I think God just separated that so much that we, would, that we wouldn't have a choice of something like that. It's why Paul declares we shall all be changed in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. In contrast with the resurrection and rapture of the church, the resurrection of saints who died before Pentecost or who die after the rapture, is apparently delayed until the time of Christ's coming to set up his kingdom. It's really interesting, isn't it? There's a separation of people groups. He has his church, and he's dealing with his church, and he's handling that in a certain way, which he calls his bride. He calls Israel his son. <laughs> okay? So you have the Old Testament saints. Let's look at Daniel 12, 1 through 2. Andy, you got that one? And then Revelation 20, verse 4. And I'm going to have you stay right there in Revelation 24, because I'm going to have you read 5 and 6 too, a little bit, and 12 through 13. Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting Okay, so earlier on we said, you know, it's the voice of the archangel, you know, in the rapture, but it, it mentioned that uh, it was going to be, who was it going to be? It was Michael, the archangel. Well, it's in Daniel that that's picked up and, and filled in. In the New Testament, it just says the archangel, but it's specific here in Daniel. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones that they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus uh, and for the word of God 
skin which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither have received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Alright, so it appears that the wicked dead are not raised until after the thousand year reign of Christ. Read Revelation 25 through 6 and then 12 and 13. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in such Blessed, is, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Then 12, 12, 13. 12, 13. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. All right. So we see a judgment, the great white throne judgment talking here. So we want to now look at the contrast between Christ coming for his saints, the rapture, and is coming with his saints to set up the millennial kingdom. And between those two is the uh, great tri the tribulation. The view that the rapture occurs before end time events is called the pre-tribulation view. In contrast with the post-tribulation view, which makes Christ coming for his saints and with his saints one event. They throw that together. But there's some issues with that. The question of which of these two views is right depends on how literally prophecy is interpreted. Number one, Christ, here's a number of the difference that can be seen between the two events. Christ coming for his saints to take them to the Father's house is in heaven is obviously a movement from earth to heaven. While his coming with his saints is a movement from heaven to the earth when Christ returns to the Mount of Olives and sets up his kingdom. Those are opposing. At the rapture, you know, how do you combine both of those together at the same point? At the rapture, living saints are translated. While no saints are translated in connection with the second coming of Christ to the earth. At the rapture, the saints go to heaven, while at the second coming, saints remain in earth without translation. At the rapture, the world is unchanged and unjudged and continues in sin. While at the second coming, the world is judged and righteousness is established in the earth. Number five, the rapture of the church is a deliverance from the day of wrath which follows, while the second coming is a deliverance of those who have believed in Christ during the time of trouble and have survived. And Mike will get into a lot of these things and, and details, but hopefully this maybe help uh, paint the bigger picture for you. The rapture is always described as an event which is imminent. 
Who could tell me what imminent means? Could happen at any time. There's nothing that needs to take place. There's no timing, no certain thing that happens. It could occur at any moment. While the second coming of Christ to the earth is preceded by many preceding signs and events. The rapture of the saints is a truth revealed only in the New Testament, while Christ's second coming to the earth with events preceding and following is a prominent doctrine of both Testaments. The rapture relates only to those who are saved, while the second coming of Christ to the earth deals with both saved and unsaved. Number nine, at the rapture, Satan is not bound, but is very active in the period which follows, while at the second coming, Satan is bound and rendered inactive for a thousand years. As presented in the New Testament, no unfilled prophecy is given as standing between the church and the time of its rapture, which is presented as an imminent event. While many signs must be fulfilled before Christ's second coming to set up his kingdom. You will be able to see that by the events and when he will come. Concerning the resurrection of the saints in relation to Christ's coming to set up his kingdom, In both the Old and New Testaments, no mention is ever made of the translation of living saints at that time. In fact, such a doctrine would be impossible as the living saints need to retain their natural bodies in order to function in the millennial kingdom. Number 12, in the sequence of events describing the second coming of Christ to the earth, there is no adequate place for an event like the rapture. According to Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Believers and unbelievers are still intermingled at the time of this judgment, which comes after Christ's coming to earth, and it is obvious that no rapture or separation of the saved from the unsaved has taken place in the descent of Christ from heaven to earth. Number 13, a study of the doctrine of Christ's coming to set up his kingdom with the events which precede and follow make clear that these events do not relate to the church, but rather to Israel, and Gentile believers and unbelievers. The the truth of the imminent coming of Christ for his church is a very practical truth. The Thessalonian Christians were instructed in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. He's delivered us. We're going to be raptured out before his wrath. Their hope was not survival through tribulation, but deliverance from the wrath of God, which would be poured out upon the earth in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and Revelation 6, 17. As represented in the New Testament, the rapture is a comforting hope also. It's a purifying hope in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, and a blessed or happy expectation in Titus 2, 13. While the world will not see Christ until a second coming to set up his kingdom, Christians will see Christ in his glory at the time of the rapture, and to them it will be the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's a big difference. When Jesus comes the second coming, the whole world, the whole world will see him. And they're going to say, oh, no. Because they're going to be judged. 
they're going to see him. And we'll learn more about that second coming later in a lot of the book of Revelation talks about that. But let's ask you a few questions. What portion of the Bible was, was prophecy when it was written? Do you remember the number throughout there? A quarter. What is the significance of the fact that many prophecies have already been literally fulfilled? Yeah, unless God just, oh, I'm going to change from being literal in my prophecies to being figurative. What is the distinction between Christ coming for his saints and Christ coming with his saints? The direction. <laughs> the direction, yeah. Um, one is the rapture, okay. The other one is him setting up uh, the millennial kingdom. What important events occur between those two events, the rapture and the millennium? Tribulation. Tribulation. By the way, there'll be three and a half years where things will look pretty good. And then the last three and a half years are called the great tribulation. Things really go bad during that time. When did Christ first announce the rapture to the church and, and what did he reveal about it? It's in John 14, in my father's many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for that. Where I am, there you may be also. Describe the order of events for Christ's coming for his saints, as given in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. You come with a... Trump, voice of the archangel. Um, and who's going to rise first? Dead. See if there's an order that dead will rise first. Remember, he's bringing them in and then being placed in new bodies because it says that we'll be raised incorruptible. This mortal shall put on immortality to be forever with the Lord. Why is the truth of Christ coming for his church declared to be a mystery in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52? Because it wasn't revealed, in the, it wasn't a known thing through the ages only until uh, to in Matthew there, or uh, in uh, John. What additional facts concerning the rapture are brought out in 1 Corinthians 15, 51? Through 58. How are we going to be raised? And immortal. What kind of bodies will those translated or raised from the dead receive? Sinless. Sinless. Of the Old Testament saints, if Old Testament saints will not be raised at the rapture when will they be raised when when the time when he sets up his kingdom um, when the wick when will the wicked dead be raised after the millennial 
brain. In view of teaching of the scriptures of the subject of the rapture and resurrection, why must the view that all people are raised at the same time be rejected? The way it's literally said, it's not said that way. Name some of the important contrasts between the rapture of the church and the second coming of the Christ to earth to set up his kingdom. Let's end with this one. What practical application of the truth of the rapture is made to our lives in Scripture? Yeah, we ought to rejoice in that. But what does Scripture say time after time? What view we ought to have as we live for it? We're looking for His coming. He's coming. And when is it? to live our lives uh, with that thought. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word uh, as we begin to talk, and mostly about the, the rapture of Christ coming for his church, to pull them out, to be with him. It'll be a time of tribulation. And then it'll be a time when he comes back at the end of tribulation to set up his kingdom, the millennial reign, and he'll bind Satan for those thousand years. And he'll judge this earth and righteousness will sit on the throne Christ will come to the Mount of Olives in a valley it will be split in two and his feet touches this earth we could see that in scriptures if we study his second coming and um, at the end he will judge the great white throne judgment death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire those who are saved will go into eternity I'm not sure how we even understand what all that is, but we know it is good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you tell us that we can understand these things. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.